Hello, I'm Jenny Thomas. And I'm Nick Heath, and welcome to Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement for the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. As a journalist friend and someone who lost a parent in my teenage years, my role in this series is to ask Jenny to share with us some stories, insight and guidance as to what's useful for anyone who is grieving or supporting someone who is bereaved. As a leading figure and pioneer in child bereavement, Jenny is the patron of the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. On these podcasts, Jenny will share what children and parents have said was so important to them at this most difficult time in their lives. I hope you'll find what I've got to say and share with you beneficial. If you find any areas of what we discuss particularly difficult, I do encourage you to seek out a family member, a friend or counselling professional who is able to listen and be supportive. Jenny is regretfully unable to respond to any individual requests for support or counselling. But for more information on the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust, visit almt.org. And if you'd like further resources, you can head to Jenny's website on jennythomas.com or view the links in the podcast description. Hi there, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement. We hope that these episodes that have featured conversations with real people who've experienced the death of someone important in their life are helping those of you who may relate to them. In this episode, Jenny will be joined by Tom and Nikki, who will talk about the sudden unexplained death of their two-year-old daughter Rosie and how they helped her older brother Adam. As always, please look in the podcast description for links to resources and charities that offer support. We hope you find today's episode deepens your understanding of how this family are managing and that some of the themes might be helpful for you. So hello, Tom. Hi, Nikki and Jenny. Over to you. I appreciate it so much you coming along today and for being with us to share your experience as a family, the loss of two-year-old little da- your little daughter, Rosie. Um, I'm very aware that we've met a number of times over the years and I know a lot about how and what happened but I'd very much appreciate you just telling us again and I'll ask you some questions to help us move in that direction. You kindly agreed to talk about what's important for you both and also why you've gone on to found a charity, The Sudden Unexplained Death of a Child. S-U-D-C, and obviously we'd like to know a bit more about that because it feels an important part of what's happened after Rosie's death. So I'm also very aware that talking about um, anything that's been a very big loss in your life is going to be painful at times and will bring back memories that always does um, and that it might be sad and difficult at times and just take the time you need to, to talk as you as you feel you'd like to. So tell us a bit about Rosie. So Rosie was our second child. She was a um, little blonde, two and a quarter year old. She was completely healthy and happy and um, she adored her big brother. She was, um, we've had four children and she was re- really affectionate. Um, she yeah. loved scooting, loved her scooter and swimming she loved gardening with you, didn't she? She and, did, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, she was lovely. She's our little girl. I was so desperate to have a little girl at some point, and I was so you know, it was a dream when we had her. We would, you know, we we thought our family we were, was we complete. thrilled to bits. We, yeah. were, we, we were smug. We, we were, were smug. very smug. We kept saying that. Yeah. We, everyone's off, you know, after she died, people said, "Oh, you know, when things like this happen, you you know, realize how lucky you are." But we knew, like, 
even before she died, we knew how we were how so lucky happy. You were. We mm. knew how yeah. lucky we were. Can you tell us about what happened? Um, yeah. Shall I start with that? Go on yeah. there. <laughs> um, well, so it was on the. So, so I normally wake up with the with the kids. So, so our son Adam, he's our, he's our eldest. He is um, has always been a very early riser. So I'd normally be up at half five or six with with him. Um, and on one morning, I woke up uh, just before Christmas. Um, went downstairs with Adam, and and Rosie was still asleep, or I thought she was still asleep. Um, so I just pulled her door to. And went downstairs and watched telly with Adam, like like I would normally do. And then it was getting later in the in the, in the morning, so getting towards I think it was about eight o'clock, eight o'clock. wasn't it? When I um, I remember I remember I remember I had to because I was I was working that day, so I was, I was doing a bit of work. Um, and then I had to get Nikki up because we had the cleaner coming. So I went to wake wake Nikki, and and, and she came downstairs. And then she, and I remember I remember very vividly because she went to she said, "Oh, I, th- I should probably go and get Rosie up now." and she started walking out of the living room and for some reason I just knew that I had to to follow her um and you went upstairs into into Rosie's room didn't you and yeah. and, and that's when you saw her yeah so I just walked into her bedroom she, I mean the day before we were at the zoo she was completely fine put her to bed we checked on her she was fine and then I walked into the room just literally walked in saw she was in bed pulled out the blind turned around and then realized that she was um lying with her face in the pillow and she didn't look normal and picked her up and she was clearly dead and she'd be dead for a long time mm. so I was obviously screaming um our little boy Adam was in the house as well he was downstairs um in and fact, at that point, we'd, we'd actually let the cleaner in, so the cleaner was in the house yeah, as well. She was so. in the house. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, it screamed, and you, like you say, you were close behind me, ran in. Then Tom did um, CPR, and I phoned the ambulance. And then I called, then I called my mum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I said to Tom, "What should we do?" He and said, I knew, just call I, your mum. I knew as and I was doing the as I was doing CPR, I knew that it was it was completely futile. she was she was very clearly dead. Yeah, but still. Um, did it <laughs> yeah you still did, I don't know how you did yeah. you still did it and then um then uh after we'd called my mum um I went downstairs babbled uh, to talk to Adam very briefly um and then I remember you like a hero um, at some point came downstairs after the um, paramedic arrived and swooped him up and took him round to our lovely we had lovely neighbours and took him round to their house so he was sheltered if you like from seeing all the ambulances and the mm. police and everything mm. and what happened afterwards. Mm. Um, and then that's, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Then we went to hospital, didn't we? In the ambulance with her. Yeah. My family all came round and we made them a cup of tea in the kitchen very surreally. <laughs> and then um, I went to hospital and then said goodbye and we came home. And can you, can you remember what it felt like? Did it feel that you, could you believe it? No. Do you remember believing it was true? It was, it was just very strange. Mm-hmm. You knew, I knew I think, it was true. I knew, it was I true. knew, yeah. knew she was dead, and it was, but it's, com- it was completely couldn't, surreal. She couldn't really, couldn't yourself. really process it, and, no. and, and and we couldn't. I remember, we, you know, we couldn't make any decisions for ourselves. We wanted people to make decisions for us because yeah. we we didn't know what to do what? about 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 anything no. really. We were in shock. I remember, I know now how I react in, a, in that kind of shocking situation, just physically mm. as well, just like shaking my head and just, it's, it's very, unless you go through that kind of thing, you'll never know how, I'm sure everyone reacts very differently. Mm. Um, and then it was, I think it was a good few weeks of 
physical shock and not being able to, um, I don't know, re- react normally. Makes mm. sense. Yeah, it makes sense of it at all, at all, not even a, a, a tiny bit. And it was Christmas. Mm. So we came home and then we um, we were at my mum's and we uh, had to go through, which I don't know, maybe it was helpful, we had to go through the rhythm of Christmas. My whole family is also in shock mm. as well because um, they live around the corner, all very close. And like I say, they were there at that immediate kind of traumatic um, event so it was very strange very very strange and what help what do you feel helped what 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 got you through it do you think I think Adam yeah <laughs> yes yes I mean Ad, Adam was absolutely one of our well top he, was, he, he was top priority yeah. mm. um mm. first first of all how, how how do we actually tell him yeah. when we were in the hospital that was the question that we had because you know how, how that's something you've never thought about mm. is, is, and how is, old was he he was four and three quarters. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so how do, how did we tell him? We focused on that, and then I think we just had that focus of giving him Christmas. My mum obviously swooped around doing all the organising things, as you, as you can imagine, and then your parents came over and helped us in mm. our own home do that. You know, just make food and things like that, and force force us to eat because you you don't you're not hungry. And um, uh, but we were very our focus was Adam parenting him and making sure he was okay and doing what we, we, we guessed was the best for him. And, and what was what, what was it like trying to manage him? What what did you feel you you needed? Did could you rely on your instinct? Because yeah, I think I think that, so, so. So the first thing that we had was was, was how to how to actually tell him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember we were sitting in this little room in 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 the hospital and and, and we asked the the nurses there. That, you know, how, have they got any advice um and there was one nurse who was brilliant and she just said you know there's not there's not necessarily a right or wrong way but but for us as we're not we're not religious in any way um and for us the what she said was, was was absolutely the right thing which was just be factual um and and don't mm. don't say she's gone away don't um, you know, which which could then give hope that she will come back, mm. and so that was the mm. advice not, that we. She wasn't took. sleeping. She and wasn't no. sleeping, anything so, like that. So, so you know, yeah. we, we we sat when we got back, or we got back to to Nikki's mum's house. Um, we sat him down and 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 just said, you know, she's she's died. Yeah. She's she's not coming back. Um, I think we knew in our maybe from things I've read or seen before, I knew that you should say. The, so much so that when that when after I'd run downstairs and called the ambulance, when I said I spoke to Adam, I actually said to him then, "Rosie's dead." And I don't. It was obviously a complete whirlwind, mm. and I regret that conversation in a way because I think it added to the drama of the. But he was sitting there with the cleaner holding him and asking me what's happened, and so mm. I said those words. So I think I kind of knew you have to be um, honest, honest. Yeah. yeah. But obviously, we thought a lot about how we would say that when we actually got back from the hospital. Mm. Mm. yeah and then how how did he how did he manage how did was it um obvious that he found it very difficult because I can remember meeting him and he wanted to meet me didn't he so tell us a little bit about what I mean he he, I remember him taking me to her room yeah Mm. he he felt a very little boy then he did he He wanted me to see her bedroom yeah. Um, but I think uh, I don't know. Perhaps you could explain what was his behaviour like. Was he? Yeah, you, I mean, you said in the car, and so on the way here, we were talking about remembering him as a little 
boy and the things he would do and say and you remember that at that point around Christmas and just after he would manically play so he was I think he, he was four and three quarters but he was also his personality was quite thoughtful and sensitive and I don't suppose it really matters what age a child is when they're bereaved it's also about their personality mm. um but for him I think he he really threw himself into playing mm. um and very was... like adults, you know, not necessarily <laughs> playing, but throw themselves into work sometimes. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he, um, there was a definite gap, I think, between there was the initial moment when we told him, and there was the crying, and there was those early days when it was very strange. And it was Christmas, and then there was, seemed to be a gap, and then it was about four months or so after um, she died when really I've, I've written in my diary things about you know he would talk about her during those months but I think it was really at that time that he realized she wasn't coming back yes took time uh, yeah. yes and that's when um, he you know would be g- always crying at night time and we had probably about well, a very long time of him being extremely sad and very hard conversations um, and that's when all the questions came out mm. what sort of questions did he ask you the questions that Adam would ask would range um, between everyday questions uh, like, Mummy, what was Rosie's favourite cereal? Um, and then we'd, and he'd I'd answer and then we'd move on. And then other times he'd say things out of the blue like, When I die, can I have Tigger? Which is his soft teddy because he knew she was buried with her teddies. Um, and then um, mm. he, would ask, he would ask other questions about, about how she, he, he, I've got written in my diary that he very innocently said, so mummy, when you went upstairs and you went into Rosie's room and did you see that she was dead? And is that what made you worried? And I said, yes, it was. And I said, it was really sad and it was really scary. Um, but it won't, that, that won't ever happen again. And then we talked about something else and mm. it was just, so when he was really little, he used to throw in random questions that had yeah. always played in his mind, but very quickly he had an answer and he was quite satisfied and he would move on. Did he see at any time, did he see you upset? Did he see you crying? Yeah, lots of, I think. Yes, probably <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> and how did, how did he manage that? What, what, how did you manage that with him? I think it helped him. Yeah, I think, I, th- I think so. He was, um, he didn't seem, I, I, so, so I remember some of the advice that you, you gave us was, was, was to not be afraid of, um, of, of, of letting him see us upset. Um, and actually sometimes he would, he would come and give us a cuddle if, mm. if he saw that we were upset, he would, mm. um, yeah, just cut us, just come and cuddle up and, um, and we'd have a chat. It wouldn't always necessarily set him off and make him upset. Sometimes I think it would. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we ever broke down in the same way we did when we were alone No. and, and relied on each other and, you know, mm. fell on each other and, and really had a good sob. I don't remember we ever did that quite in the same way that Adam was there because we were obviously conscious he was there but we definitely got upset together as a group sometimes Mm -hmm. um and so he knew that we felt what he was feeling and I think that's what was helpful and for us as well it was I remember when we um, met with you and spoke to other people um we realized it was important that uh, we understood that although he might not be able to articulate things as an adult would, actually he was thinking similar things as we were and feeling similar things as we mm. were. So, mm. And I think what you say about um, how he, if he got an answer or he'd ask you something, then he could quickly go off and mm-hmm. do something else. I think people don't understand that children are very like us. You know, we can feel very upset and then we can move on and, and do something else. It doesn't yes. mean that, 
you know, you're going to be upset all the time. No, and it, that helped us actually because the, the questions he would ask weren't so scary because I knew that we might have a conversation and then it would be about, you know, he wouldn't necessarily break down and be in tears. It, it, sometimes it was that he just had a question and we chatted and then we carried on with the day. Not always, sometimes he got upset, but, you know, it wasn't, it, sometimes it was fine. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a bit more about Adam in a minute, but I just wondered before I do that, um, what, what, how did you manage as a couple? What, what do you feel was the, probably the most helpful thing uh, as a couple or what was the most difficult thing? Because I'm often asked when somebody loses a child, does that mean the relationship will end? Because it's a frightening feeling that, you know, you lose something as precious as a child and then you might lose each other mm-hmm. or one of you might leave. Um, do you remember how you were? What, what, what was your relationship like after Rosie died or in, in the year or two after? I think it's, we've been lucky in a way in that we both process it, have processed it in a fairly similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we both like to talk about Rosie. We like to, and 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 we're always open to having that conversation. Mm. Um, and because we're both fairly open, um, I think that's that's that that's helped. Yeah. Um, because there's never been any barriers to uh, to being able to talk no. about it. No. So yeah. if you come home and you've had a bad day, you can help with that and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and vice versa. So, 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 I mean, we've talked a lot. A lot. I think especially, yeah, in the early... Now we talk a lot, but back then we talked a lot. And it wasn't always... You didn't always want to. So sometimes mm. <laughs> you'd get home from work and you'd no, be having right. a bad day. And I may have come out of a, bad, a particularly yeah. bad few days and be actually functioning and feeling okay and then you'd come home and I would inside think oh I really can't deal with this tonight <laughs> and you, but you needed to have a chat and have a cry and and so because we did and I'm sure it was the same for you mm. and we did that for, for each other so we were lucky that you know we went we understood that but it wasn't always easy sometimes I mean there's mm. nothing more heartbreaking and quite scary seeing your um, you know, you you lost your child, you're grieving for your child, you're seeing your child grieve for them, which is horrific. And then to see your strong, capable man of a husband come home and just be desperately be sad and yes. in tears is completely heartbreaking. So, um, And a bit scary, isn't it, too? Yeah. You feel like your world has crashed around you because everything that you knew... It's, it's fallen apart. It's not just that the, the little girl isn't there anymore. The other people are different because, mm. you know, everybody's so sad. I don't, mm. I, I don't know if you feel this, Nikki, but I, I, I felt it was kind of us against the world as well. Mm. Um, yeah. So it was our little family unit against everyone else. We definitely did that. We hunkered we, down. Hunkered mm. down. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Even though you've told me how very supportive both your families have been, you felt like this was your little family. Yeah, we mm. really hung, we did, we hunkered down, that's a good <laughs> way to put it. And we are, I'm very close to my family, but they're obviously going through things, different things, and this, they're grieving about this too. Um, you, you also, it's very isolating, so I didn't believe that anyone else could possibly understand the feelings and the emotions and just the conversations that are had in our household, you know, that you feel like you're the only mum lying on, on their child's bed, answering these awful questions with them. Mm. So, you know, you, you can't think anyone else is going through that. Mm. Um, so it's very isolating. And because we were supportive of each other and lucky in that way, I think we did grasp onto each other. Mm. 
Mm. It's lucky, you're very fortunate that you both feel open enough to be able to talk about something very painful because that does make such a difference. And not everyone can do that, you know, and I think that's um, one of the things I've learned in this work that um, being able or getting help to talk about very difficult things can make a big difference, Mm. and especially as a couple, I think. What did you feel was important in having the support you had? What, in what way did it matter to you? What did you feel it, it was important? It was crucial. Yeah. <laughs> I, so we, um, we've had different, um, different support throughout the last six years. And I think we were very lucky at the start that we found somebody that seemed to fit with what we needed, which was to make us um, feel like we were doing the best for Adam, which was our what we cared about was our priority and that our feelings were normal in a very exceptional situation we had very normal reactions and normal feelings and so did Adam and that in a way just uh reinforcing that our gut instincts were usually correct and yeah. you know, and, you know yes. that was really helpful mm-hmm. um I think we I used to remember we would see um you every sort of five weeks or so mm-hmm. And if there was a difficult situation, I knew it was like my safe place. I knew I could, okay, I can save that. I'll remember that. And then when I, you know, when I see Jenny, I'll speak to that, speak to her about it. So it was a bit of a safety blanket. Mm. Um, So I imagine if anybody is in a similar situation that just if you can find somebody that helps you deal with the day-to-day stuff and makes you realise it's normal. And reassure you, yes. Yes, it's it's that reassurance and also just little tips and tricks of of, of, of ways that you can approach certain situations like when when you know when, when if adam was really upset which, which which he was obviously um particularly at night time suggesting that he had a little book that he could write in mm. um and then you have a little piece of chocolate afterwards mm. um and then you can kind of put that away yeah you know mm. it's little little things like that that we perhaps wouldn't have thought of no there was a moment I remember that was priceless as well when we had had a really long stretch of really hard nights and it was turning into hours, an hour and a half of, you know, very emotional moments before bedtime that actually you, you gave us the confidence to know that actually it's okay to say it's bedtime now and mm. what what we're, you know, of course we'll talk about this, but it's just not the right time because you need to go to sleep. Because at that point, I think I'd gone the, the other way, if you like, in terms of talking about it and it was just we could have gone on forever. Yes, yes. And he needed to, he was a, sort of a limit, a little <laughs> yeah. limit set. Yes. When you later knew that he needed a bit of help, um, can, can you say a little bit about that? At what, what sort of age was he when he had a few problems? Was it at school or at home? Or how did it manifest itself? Yes, well, it, he, so for he, for a while, so he had this kind of year or so, like I say, four to six months in, where he was really upset, and then he did seem to be, you know, okay, if you, if you like, you know, he'd have stretches of a few months, and then he'd have a couple of bad nights, maybe where he'd watch TV with us in the evenings again, or he'd be upset a bit more regularly for a few days, and then he'd be okay again, so a bit like people talk about the waves in grief, don't they, and yeah. for him, they seem to get further apart, um, as they did for us. And then when he was nine and a half, um, out of completely out of the blue, uh, he got a stomach ache one day um, and he was a bit poorly before year five started at school and he just started crying and he went to school the next day and just cried all morning and mm. we thought he was ill. Um, and so he was off for a couple of days and basically from that point onwards he had for about a term 
a term and a tiny bit, he barely attended school, really. He had anxiety and depression. And that was the first time during, uh, you know, watching him grieve that we realised that we were completely out of our depth, didn't we? Complete, like, complete, yes. We had no clue what <clears throat> to do no, to yeah, help him. absolutely no idea what to do. Yeah. What, what made you realise it was grief? That, did you talk to your doctor or who, who yeah. helped you recognise that he was grieving? I think... It's frustrating just because we know him and we yeah. know how he reacts. And I found these conversations really hard. I'm really bad actually at articulating this with friends and family when we are they're asking me about it because it's very easy for them to say, "Oh, but is this normal in year five? And or oh, my child's had you know problems starting school again." So, but it's different. He's, yes, you knew. Him. I knew it was mm. a different reaction and it was a different type of crying. It was a deep sadness that I recognise seeing in him when he's been sad about Rosie and. And it wasn't just, I'm worried about school. It was, he was deeply upset. Mm. Um, but we did, we were out of our depth. So we, um, we, we spoke to one person through a friend who was a counsellor and she came around for an afternoon, had a quick chat with us. And then we, it wasn't quite the right fit. We just couldn't see it would be helpful. And so then we spoke to the doctor. I think we phoned yourself and we ended up seeing a psychiatrist Again, we saw that person. It was it was a helpful session, but we didn't see them again. It wasn't going to be the right thing. We, yes. It was a bit of a gut feeling. You kind of mm. think about what's going to help. It's like any help, actually. Yes. You know, you know when somebody there's a chemistry that yes. you feel, and particularly with your children, I think you know what will be helpful for them and what might not work. Absolutely. Mm. And so we ended up seeing a found a clinical psychologist, and he saw her every week. Yeah. For the whole term, basically, probably, you know, probably recognised and got to that point in the beginning of October. And then he saw this lovely lady. Um, and that worked. There was a chemistry that worked yes. there with her. He was really comfortable with her, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we sometimes he saw her with me, sometimes <coughs> with Tom. It was always, he always saw her with one of us. It wasn't on his own. And that was his, he was adamant he wanted us to be there and she said that's probably helpful because of his age as well he basically needed to develop coping strategies to deal with um and his anxiety i guess about school but also he needed to talk through, there were lots I of think questions there lots that of came things out he needed to work through, to work through um, so, so so you know he, he started asking he went through a little period of asking us more questions about rosie so he was asking about the funeral and what happened at the funeral because he, he didn't go to to her funeral so he was asking why he didn't go to her funeral mm. um lots of little things like that which yeah. you know actually when he was asking the questions he was he wasn't upset at, yeah. that, at that point but i think it was just kind of his brain ticking mm. over and and, yeah. and working through these things and he asked specific more specific, Very specific grown questions, up questions yeah. about her death as well so <clears throat> what did she look like where how was she lying? How did you know? Is that why you worry? You worry when I'm asleep and things mm. away because my children have monitors, under mattress monitors, and we tried to deal with that and handle those conversations yes. very carefully. Yes. But obviously that came up. Um, so he, he just, yeah, he just needed to work through all those questions, have lots of talks about her. But he completely changed personality. I mean, he was, you know, he he was very much not himself um we had multiple meetings well regular meetings with the school and anxiety is so awful isn't it yeah. i mean i know about how i know so many people i see when they're grieving say they're so anxious mm. everything makes you anxious and in a child of course it's especially with go, having to go into a new classroom new different things and if you've got huge anxiety it's very difficult to manage yeah. 
So what did she do that you felt helped him manage that anxiety? Well, he, the, the psychiatrist, actually, one thing they did that was very useful is they kind of explained why it happened to us quite nicely. And they talked about... Um, building blocks on top one on top of the other because there were there were various things that happened we'd started tutoring for the 11 plus we were talking about moving house we had changed um uh, rose's room which we still we still call it rose's room in our house and we changed it from looking like a tv room i guess still with her things on the wall but into a bit of a playroom and it basically looked exactly like their playroom used to look <laughs> when he was little which in hindsight was a terrible thing <laughs> to do and um also, Ellen, our daughter we'd had subsequently, was the spitting image of Rosie oh, and a similar age. Um, so there were all these things that happened one on top of the other. And then the day before school started, we went to the zoo, which was the place we went the day before Rosie died. Again, we just innocently did these things. Um, and like, triggered something. Triggered it. I think, uh, you know, Ellen was scooting around the zoo then, so which he had done with her. So I think it was just building blocks one on top of the other. And he took a, you know... The school was starting the next day and it was the last straw. And so it was very much reactive anxiety. So with his friends on play dates, he was fine. Um, but it was within the school gates. He mm. just he just could not stop crying. He cried. He had to be in the cloakroom playing on his iPad to stop crying. And that's the only way he was able to be on school grounds. It was horrible. And we didn't... It was horrible for us because we were out of our depth and we didn't know it would ever end or if he mm. would be I'm pleased to say he's fine now <laughs> but yes, he, that's good but um at the time it was really hard for us emotionally because we were so worried yeah it was really scary it was, mm. it was a very scary time mm. I was going to just ask you a little bit about have you found m- doing the charitable work really helpful in meeting other people who've been through similar losses or tell us a little bit about the charity yeah. that would be really helpful I imagine it's mostly you Nikki it and and uh, you're <laughs> you're the, it with us don't you you're the supporter I'm, I'm, I'm the yes I, he's I, the I, finance I guy <laughs> <laughs> um no you're really supportive he, do, he, he listens to me <laughs> talk about it all the time um, um, it's been so helpful for us. So for, for I don't, everyone grieves differently. For me, maybe because we did hunker down, I didn't even go on social media or do Facebook or anything for a couple of years after Rosie died. I couldn't bear seeing pictures of other happy, perfect families, and so I very much didn't wasn't didn't do that. The only interaction I had with other families was through um, the SUDC Foundation, who are an organisation in America, and they have a Facebook group, and so I was able to very anonymously post on there, and I got support from reading what they'd written and from being able to write things for example I've been to a birthday party and it had been too much seeing other kids dressed up in spider-man costumes like she used to wear and I could just write that snippet and then feel that somebody would you know write oh I totally understand it happened to me blah, blah. and so I found that very helpful and then when a couple of years after we decided to go to a meeting that another charity had organized in the UK and we met some other parents and that was the first time it was a it was a big deal meeting other people. Mm. Um, it was completely exhausting that day, wasn't it? It was exhausting, but it was incredibly helpful as so well. Helpful. And you went together. You both we, went. We, we went together, and I remember, I remember we met this other this other couple. Um, and towards the end of the day, wasn't it? And we 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 sat down to to have a cup of coffee with them, and we just sat and we you know we were chatting with them for hours. Yeah. Um, it was one of these ones where you just think you know. This, this chat could never end. We could we could have sat there all week and chatted to them because they understood. It was the yes. first time yes. we'd met. Because you could connect completely no. with yeah. them, couldn't you? Exactly. Yes. So Rosie died from sudden, unexplained death in childhood, which obviously means we don't know why she died. So it's also got that element of 
when we met another family that really understood what it was like to you know speak to Adam and he'd say what well why did she die and actually I can't we don't know so it was really helpful meeting them and we recognized when we did that along with other parents that there was no community for families like ours within the UK and there's very limited awareness of sudden unexplained death in childhood and there's very limited research so we wanted to co-found a charity myself and two other parents um to raise awareness and honour all children that have died in this horrific, tragic way um, that were healthy and one day suddenly, unexpectedly, they're dead and no one can tell you why. So it's been, from that point onwards, it's been lovely for me because I've got two other mums and when we meet it's you know we talk about our children it's a bit like being at NCT you know you kind of sit around and we talk about our children and we know we're doing it for them um and so many parents have joined and signed up with SUDC UK now and they're kindly raising money and it's a real community and it, it kind of brings everybody together um And we have a family day, which, you know, is really special for us Mm because it was at the zoo, which obviously we've mentioned a few times in this conversation, which is important to us. Um, You said something about a a scooter event that you you arrange, or is it a bike event? Tell us a bit about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so Rosie absolutely loved scooting. Um, it It was, she just wanted to scoot all day, every day. Um, we knew that we wanted to do something. And so, in the village that where where, where we live, we um, we set up an annual um, scooting event for um, primary school, uh, sort of preschool and primary school kids. Um, in memory of Rosie. In memory in memory of Rosie. Yeah. So, so it's it's Rosie's summer scoot. Um, so that's been going for four years now. Yes. I think we've done four. We've done yeah. four. And you said um, something rather nice about how Adam remarked about it to, to your other little one what, yeah. what was that so Adam said um yesterday Ellen who's our four-year-old now um so she said um she did the scoot last year for the first time properly and she said oh I want to do the scoot can we do the scoot and I said oh you know we do the scoot in the summer we don't do it in the winter and Adam said Ellen we do the scoot every year we do the scoot every year in the summer for Rosie um oh. it really means a lot to him it's lovely it's it a does, real community it? feel all our friends and family I think that we said that's how we kind of celebrate her, isn't it? Yes. Every year. Yes. Just after it happened, the first, the first couple of years, mm. we, we we would have a walk um, oh, yes. on her on her on her birthday, wouldn't we? Um, round round around the local woods where we like to go for a walk um, with our, with our friends and family. Um, and then after a couple of years, we stopped doing that because um, I think we felt that we didn't need to do it anymore mm. um and so then so then so now on her birthday it's a um we just have that as a family day i was um, going to so, ask you how you re- what you did on her yeah, birthday so, and, so, 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 so i will always have the day off work um and 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 we'll do things do things as a family um but, this, but as, as nikki says the the scoot is really it's a it's a celebration and um we have all of our friends help all of our family help it's um my parents live abroad and they'll often come mm. over to help and it's um yes yeah, so you know it's a really good positive yeah. event it is and it's nice i mean every, i think there's a lot of um, publicity about say their name you know you want to hear their name spoken you want them to be remembered it's not going to upset you and that's mm. a real day when um people because it's such a positive event people talk about her they say her name you know i have a stand with her pictures and things on but it is a real lovely day it's obviously mm. it's a bit emotional sometimes the mm. uh, last year we lost uh, my little one ran off <laughs> for a few minutes and we couldn't find him so that was very helpful but obviously that was very emotional but um uh 
you know, your, your heightened emotions, I guess, is what I'm saying yes. on that day. But it is a, it's a pleasure. It's mm. lovely. Well, I can hear you've got lots of enduring connections with Rosie. I think that's really helpful and important for all of you, for Adam and, um, and for your other children. And I think it's probably a good time to leave because you feel like you've moved on with life and you've just brought her with you. And if you can do that, it gives hope, I think, to people who might be listening who feel like they're never going to move on and and actually feel um, that their child has got a place within them. Um, So I'd like to just end there to thank you again so very much. It's been really helpful hearing you and talking about your little one and just I wondered what are you going to do yourselves now because I, I, I don't know if you remember this but I told you when I was seeing Adam that it's always helpful with children to do something nice when you've done something that's been quite hard and if you've talked about emotions it's, that are sad emotions it's quite helpful to think about putting the blossom on the tree so I was just thinking of you as uh, as two little people what are you going to go and do to put the blossom on your tree now or you've got to get back to work and you know all those other things that take us up take up life I think. Yeah, we've got a bit of time, haven't we? So we might have some lunch. Yes, yeah, so I do. Need, I do need to get back to work, but we'll go and have some nice, some nice food first. I think. Yeah. And oh, then, good. Um, and then, good. and then go and go and collect all the various children from different locations, <laughs> yes, <laughs> different schools and preschools. Back, up, back to normal. Back to yes. normal. Yes. Lovely. Well, thank you again. Thank, thank you. you Jenny. No, thank you.